0: Thank you, once again, good day, and welcome to another broadcast on the Theological Seminar of the air. Our broadcast for the last three weeks have been dealing with the subject matter of the Bible itself and the authority of the Bible. And today we're going to talk about some supposed contradictions in the Bible. and of course, when we say some supposed contradiction in the Bible, we're of course dealing with the King James text. Uh, the modern apostate fundamentalists will write books running four or five hundred pages on the inspiration of the scripture and spend the whole time quoting the King James Bible to prove the inspiration of some other Bible, uh, which, of course, you can do in the classroom, but you can't do in court. If you're quoting verses from the King James Bible in English to prove the inspiration of the Bible, you certainly can't do it to prove the inspiration of the original manuscripts because the King James Bible is not the original manuscripts. But this uh, a very apparent type of blunder seems to be covered up before the eyes of the Christian faculty at Christian schools. We're going right on year in and year out with the nonsense. When they talk about the so-called contradiction of the Bible, the text they go by is the King James text. And then, strange enough, they bat their brains out, trying to prove there's no contradiction, then they try to pretend this uh, is a proof that the originals were infallible, which is not. And they go right ahead and pick up some other place in the King James Bible they say are wrong and correct them as though the originals didn't say that. Now this is the madness of the 20th century, and the modern apostate fundamentalist, of course, is insane, and uh, his mental processes are deeply disturbed in dealing with this particular matter. Be sure to include the whole sentence I just said when you splice the tape and try to make me say something I didn't say. I said in dealing with this particular matter, the matter of the liability and authority of the Scriptures, he is mad, just as mad as a hatter. He will go to great trouble to prove that 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, doesn't contradict 1 Chronicles 21-25, or that 1 Timothy 6:16 6, doesn't contradict 1 Kings 8, verse 12, or that John 13:27 doesn't contradict Luke 22-3-4, and then he will turn right around and make 31,000 corrections from the correct text and tell you that the corrections he made are reliable. They have a word for this in the state hospitals. Uh, in the vernacular, it's the cuckoo's nest, or as Jonathan Winters says, back in the zoo. Now, when we teach our young men now at the Pensacola Bible Institute about the contradiction of the Bible, of course, we are always referring to the Bible, of which we have a copy, of which we read, and which we teach. We're never left stuck with the mythological original or the mythological original autographs or any of this depraved nonsense carried on by these fundamental congresses. We're dealing with a book which we have. And we teach the student how to unravel the apparent contradiction discrepancies in that book. We're dealing with what we call the Bible. And the original manuscripts, we could care less what they say or don't say. After all, since these rascals have changed our Bible 35,000 times uh, in a period of less than 50 years, why should we really give a flip what they think they're copying their Bible from or what they think about anybody's manuscripts? They have their Bible, we have ours. The only difference is their Bible is what they call a reliable translation, and our Bible is the Word of God. Now we'll take a few examples. The primary example, of course, of course, is Ahaziah. Uh, the modern fundamental conservative schools now have had a wave of belief in the Bible sweep over them in the last ten years, and they're having to shuffle the deck and hustle to get the feet back in the ground. So the modern conservative Christian schools, such as Tennessee Temple, or San Francisco, or Northwestern, Mid-South, and Midwestern, Biola, Piedmont, Pillsbury, Bob Jones, uh, Arlington, Springfield, or take any of the 54, will be perfectly impartial, are now teaching their students what they consider to be errors in the King James text, in order to shape the student's faith in the English text, so the student will look to them as the authority because they know the Hebrew and Greek. Now, that's what's going on in the fundamental schools in America today. You say, how do you know this? I have a pile of letters here full High. That's how I know it. Uh, but now in this country these days, as a last-ditch effort to overthrow the students' faith in the authorized version as the final authority, the fundamental faculties of premillennial schools are now teaching the students the so-called errors in the King James Bible. The first two they bring up are the age of Ahaziah, 22 and 42, and the age of Jehoiakim, of which one account says, 18, and the other count says 8. Now, there are many others, but these are the two main ones, and obvious ones, because the simpletons, the faculty have a hard time finding the more complicated ones. There are, however, about 398 more. At the Pensacola Bible Institute, we bring in the young man, we teach him that the King James text is superior to any Hebrew text or Greek text known to man. We teach him that alongside uh, the King James Bible, Sinaiticus, Vaticanus, Alexandrinus, the Nestle's text, Olin's text, Metzger's text, and Westcott North text, are the feeble fumblings of disarranged minds. And we do that simply by pausing a question of the student which he can't answer. We ask the student to show us a contradiction in the King James Bible. Now, we've been asking the faculty members of Christian schools to show us this for pretty close to 20 years. Do you know how many many they've produced? I'll give you one guess. Do you know how many actual contradictions of the King James Bible these rascals have produced who made 35,000 changes in the new ASV? They've never produced one. Now, you take old Jehoiakim. Don't you know his mother reigned with him ten years before he was of age? You say, where'd you get that from? the Bible, stupid, didn't you read it? Didn't you read where he had a queen mother with him? And when he was taken to captivity, they took away the queen too because the queen was his mother? Now think about that for a minute. And having run those references in Kings and Chronicles and Jeremiah, don't you go on and open your big mouth about the next problem you have until you face a horrible, terrible, glaring truth. Why is it that the man who taught you Bible held out up before your nose a contradiction when the dirty rascal would not search the Scripture to see what the answer was? And you paid him tuition to learn from him. Now think about that. Before you tackle the next 399 problems, you'd better give that some thought. Don't you be like a Campbellite who leaves Matthew twenty-eight nineteen and 20 and runs to Acts two thirty-eight and then runs to Mark 16, 16 and then runs to Acts 20, uh, verse 17 and then runs to Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and then runs to Galatians three twenty-six and then runs to First Peter 3, 21 and then runs back to Matthew 28, 9, and 20. Don't you care about a harebrained, scatterbrained, circular wheel type reasoning. You just face it, buster. Any man that told you that was a contradiction was a deliberate liar who had not searched the word of God. And the fact that he drew a salary at a fundamental soul-winning pre institution is a testimony to the apostasy of that institution. Now, you take Ahaziah. Did any of you ever ever actually check to see who Ahaziah's mother was? Ahaziah's mother wasn't Jehoram's wife. Ahaziah wasn't Jehoram's literal son. He was counted as a son. But who who read the Bible didn't know that Mary's Husband, Joseph, was counted as a son when he was actually a son in law. And who didn't know that Jesus Christ is called the son of David when actually he's a great, 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 great 14 generation grandson? Boy, people can sure get screwed up in that book, can't they? And I don't mean the originals. If you had the originals, you couldn't solve the problem. Tell me something, stupid, if you can't solve it in your own language, what would you do with Greek and Hebrew? Why, just exactly what the apostate fundamentalists and the Alexandrian cult did with it. They just blew it and called it a contradiction because they were too lazy to search the thing out. You'd make a bigger mess as they did. Did you know that Ahaziah's mother was Ahab's sister? Did you know that God omitted three kings from the list of Christ's genealogy following Ahaziah in Matthew chapter 1? Did you check it? Why didn't you check it? Why do you suppose three generations are omitted at the time of Ahaziah? You say, well, didn't your professor talk to you about that? Well, what were you doing going to that school and paying money to a deceiver to teach you a lie? Why, the rascal didn't even check it out. You said well, one account said 22 and the other account said 42, so I just figured you figured too much. Did it ever occur to you that a man could start to rain at 22 and have his rain interrupted and not get it back again till he was 42? You say, I never thought of that. Did your professor? Why didn't he? Was well, that true of the reign of King Richard the Lionhearted when he was an absentee? Couldn't a man who knew English history or German history or French history find a dozen cases where a king began to reign and the thing was cut off, he didn't get back on the throne until later? You say, well, I suppose. You see what kind of a fool some of you people are. You'd put your money in an institution because it professed to believe the Bible is the Word of God and it no more believe the Bible is the Word of God Believe Mickey Mouse has seven heads. You just saw that in the brochure outside the pamphlet advertised in the school. Why they never believe that Bible is the word of God? You may tell me you can't find a case where David was king and got off his throne and abdicated when Absalom went out after him, and when he came back there was nobody saying, Bring back the king, and there wasn't any king over Israel there for almost a year? Now why would you think in a case like this where a man whose genealogy was that doubtful from the northern tribes? and suddenly shows up as king over the southern tribes, why would you think that the account was a discrepancy when the fact of the matter is at 22 they could have set him up as a king, but he couldn't get the throne till he was 42? Now, wait a minute. Before you jump to the other 398, would you explain to me what business you have doing supporting a school or a church that teaches that baloney? and puts that thing in front of your face and tells you that's a contradiction. Well, if they had to prove that was a contradiction in the court of law, they could no more prove, they could prove there was green cheese on Jupiter. For example, Exodus 24, verse 10 says, They saw the God of Israel. In John 1, 8, it says, No man has seen God at any time. Both statements are correct. They didn't see the soul of God, for the soul of God is invisible. But they saw a physical reflection of God like you see in the mirror. And, of course, what they saw was the angel of the Lord. that was seen by Manoah and his wife, and was seen by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob even wrestled with him. In Numbers 29 25, verse 9, it says 24,000 died in the plague. In 1 Corinthians 10, 8, it says 23,000 fell in one day. Easily. 23,000 fell in one day and 24000 with the total number that died after a few days. For example, 2 Samuel 24-24, David paid 50 shekels of silver for the threshing floor. In 1 Chronicles 21-25, he paid 600 shekels of gold. Easy. First he bought the threshing floor, then he bought the whole farm. In 1 Timothy 6-16, God dwells in light. In First Kings eight twelve, God dwells in thick darkness. Both are true. God is omnipresent, dwelling everywhere. Therefore, he dwells in outer darkness of outer space and he dwells in light in the third heaven in eternity, both statements are true. There are no contradictions in a King James Bible. So what about that cock crowing twice and thrice over there in Mark? Yeah, you should have been listening to some reprobates, haven't you, huh, sonny? You haven't got the sense God gave a brass monkey probably. You wouldn't have paid him your money, would you, stupid? You say, why do you talk to people like that? Because they talk about the Bible the way they shouldn't talk about the Bible, and we're Bible believers. If you have a right to attack our Bible, we have equal a time to attack your stupidity. You see what I mean, jelly bean? So what about that thing where they say he rose on the third day and after the third day? Well, you haven't got many brains, do you, fellow? You have to figure it out pretty quick, wouldn't you? I'd like to see you find the contradiction in the King James Bible. I've read it through 79 times. I haven't found one yet. And I've looked pretty close. You say, what are you gonna do with the discrepancy like where it says one place the guy is twenty two, another place the guy is forty two? Why the same thing you do in one place where it said the sixth hour, and the other place it said the third hour. You're obviously dealing with two different sets of time. In Isaiah forty verse twenty eight, God never gets tired and never needs rest, but in Exodus chapter thirty one it said God created the world in six days and rested and was refreshed the seventh day. But it doesn't say that God rested because he was tired. God rested the seventh day to appreciate that which he had created and rested in the sense that he stopped making anything more which he could have made. In John 13, 27, Satan entered into Judas during the Last Supper. In Luke 22, 3, 4, and 5, it is obvious Satan entered into Judas before the Last Supper. He could have entered him more than once. After all, he filled Ananias' heart to lie to the Holy Ghost. In Acts one the nine, you ascended from Mount Olivet. In Luke twenty four, he ascended from Bethany. Easy, Bethany's on Mount Olivet. In Acts nine seven, Paul's companion heard the voice. In Acts twenty two nine, Paul's companion did not hear the voice. Easy, the companions heard a voice, but didn't understand the words of the voice that spoke to Paul. Did you ever read John chapter twelve, where when the Lord spoke, some said it thundered, others said an angel spake to him. They heard a voice. They just didn't hear the voice of the one that spoke to Jesus Christ. And, of course, I'm dealing with problems of the King James text, not the original manuscripts. Therefore, all this effort to try to prove that the original manuscripts are inerrant and infallible, but the King James has errors in it, is nonsense. We're dealing with a statement of the King James. And you don't have the original there to see whether they err or not. You say, well, they couldn't have erred. What do you get for that authority? 2 Timothy 3.16? 2 Timothy 3.16 is not a reference to the original manuscripts. Now, round and round we go. In First Kings 6, we have a period between Exodus and the beginning of the building of the temple is 480 years, and according to history, it is 573 years. The difference is 93 years, and it is exactly the period of the captivity, and it mentioned the book of Judges. You take the number of time the Jews went to captivity in the book of Judges and figure out those years and subtract them from the total length of time, you'll find the extra time made up between 480 and 573. Years spent away from God are lost years, like the 40 years wandering in the wilderness. In 1 Samuel 6:19, we read God smoked 50,000 by looking to the Ark of the Covenant. Josephus the historian says only 70 people were smitten. Well, that's easy. Josephus was a liar. That's how to settle those problems. Where the Bible says one thing and Josephus and Philo say another, they can go take a fly and jump at the moon. Luke 18.35, do you think Josephus was around when the 50,000 people got smitten? Of course not. Do you think Josephus was living at the time the Ark of the Covenant was taken? Of course not. Do you think Josephus believed the word of God from cover to cover? Of course not. Do you think Joseph has any authority for changing your Bible? Why, of course not. Don't be silly. In Luke 18, verse 35, did you see a one blind man as they came near Jericho? In Mark 10, did you see one man as they departed from Jericho? Easy. Either he had two unnamed men some distance from Jericho, or else the city limits crossed each other. I mean, who couldn't figure that out, brother? Who doesn't live in a town where you can go out of the city limit and then come back into it in one block? I guarantee you can, fence Stroller brother. You can walk across this town, go in and out of the city limits eight times going north to south, and four times going east to west. When in doubt, always throw Greek and Hebrew scholarship out. Other apparent contradictions are as easily explained or more easy. Such things as the almond tree and the algon tree, such things as Solomon's navy and the talents of gold he bought, such things as the number of armed men in Israel that David took muster of, such thing the so-called seven days, or was it three, or was it seven, in Second Chronicles, in Samuel, the muster of David's mighty men, all these so-called problems that were attacked were not attacked in the original manuscripts. The scholars fled to the, the original manuscripts because they were making, making a cowardly retreat before the liberals, and they felt they could not defend the King James text against error. They felt the King James text was indefensible because they resented it, and were jealous about it, and hated it, and were not in subjection to it. Therefore, they picked the unknown, mystical, original manuscripts to take their bold and brave stand on, where nobody could flush them and prove them wrong. This is the greatest disaster that happened to the body of Christ since the Council of Nicaea. I would say without a doubt that the greatest disaster that ever happened to the body of Christ since 325 A.D. was the retreat of fundamental and conservative scholars away from the King James text to the unheard of, unknown, unread, untaught, unavailable originals. Nothing would be more cowardly than that. Uh, if you went into a court and tried to prove your thesis, your thesis wouldn't last in court 15 minutes. There isn't a judge in the world when these fellows start saying the original text and the original Greek says he wouldn't ask for the text and if you couldn't show it, you would be thrown out of court, son. Unsaved judges have more sense than Christian celebrities. How do we know the Bible is authentic? How do we know the supposed authors actually wrote the Bible? Is the Bible worthy of belief? Of course it is. It proves itself to be the Word of God by actual factual experience. Moreover, it proves itself to be the Word of God by scientific arithmetic. The laws of mathematical statistical probability prove the Bible the Word of God beyond the slightest shadow of doubt on the part of anyone, atheist, agnostic, or otherwise. You see, the God of the Bible is the God of numbers and arithmetic and the God of law and order. So when he wrote his book, he incorporated a mathematical formula in the book that science could not turn down and by which if a scientist were reject the Word of God, he would prove himself to be a two-faced hypocrite. The process was very simple. The Lord put in that book 48 prophecies about a man before that man showed up and then ordered history so all 48 came in on the button. Now listen. The chances of 48 prophecies concerning a man who has not been born coming to pass when that man is showing up 400 years after those prophecies are made is 1 out of 10 to the 157th power, and there are not that many electrons in the known universe. By this we learn the Bible is the only scientific textbook in print. And there is no textbook in science in print anywhere on this earth that displays the mathematical phenomena found in the King James 1611 authorized version. There are 48 prophecies made about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, and all 48 of those prophecies come true literally on that man more than 400 years after they're made. And if that weren't adding insult to injury... There are more than 200 prophecies about Jesus Christ that are yet to be fulfilled in the next 30 years. Do you know what the chances are of 300 prophecies coming to pass on one man are when that man has not showed up yet? Well, son, I'd like to see you take the chance. I would like to see the United Nations and UNESCO and the CFR and the Illuminati and the Billigaburgers and the Masons, and the American Association for the Advancement of Science get together and write one book prophesying 50 details of any man's life, 400 years before he was born, and see even five of them come in on the money. You can't do it. The Bible proves itself to be the Word of God by mathematical formula. The Bible proves itself to be the infallible truth of God because it demonstrates that the God of the book is the God of history, and this phenomenon is found in no religious literature in the world. There's nothing in the Koran, there's nothing in the literature of Muhammad or Buddha, or nothing in the religion of the Hindus or the Muslims or the Brahmas that even attempts to accomplish what I've just said. What I've just said can be proved by opening a Bible and checking the references. And by the way, the references are numbered. The chances of 300 prophecies coming to pass on one person before that individual shows up, including his birth, his birthplace, his name, the name of the town, the condition of his birth, the condition of his death, the condition of his life, his age, the details of his death, the details of his arrest, the details of his ministry, the chance of that happening are less than 1 out of 10 to the 400th power. There are not that many electrons in every atom in the universe. Now, you start figuring. Figure 100 million electrons on the head of a pin to be conservative, okay? Figure 100 million electrons on the head of a pin. That'll give you eight zeros to start with. And then you put out 157 zeros after that for 48 prophecies, and 400 zeros after that for 300 prophecies, and find out how big that pinhead gets, pinhead. And that pinhead will make up three clusters bigger than the known universe extending 150 billion light years in every direction. Now, if you don't believe it, get out your pencil and start figuring. That's a 10 with 157 zeros after it, there are not that many electrons in the universe. How do we know the Bible is the Word of God? First, we know it by the scientific method of mathematical calculating. That's the first way. The next we know it's the Word of God is by its effect on our lives and our experience in answer the prayer and make us new creatures in Jesus Christ. And finally, know it's the Word of God absolutely because it never has to change or adjust itself to any future truth. There hasn't been one truth ever discovered since the book was written that ever overthrew one truth stated in the book. Here in the Louvre in Paris are five and a half miles of bookshelves on scientific so called, quote, facts, unquote. These five and a half miles of books are now obsolete. What was considered to be scientific fact, the time these books were written, has been overthrown by future scientific fact. So we have five and a half miles, counting all the shells, you know, 20 levels on four or five stories, running for a city block in both directions, that are now considered to be obsolete facts. There isn't one thing stated in the King James Bible you can prove that is an obsolete scientific fact, and if you could find it, you could collect $1,000 from the Christian Research Foundation, which has a $1,000 award for any man who can find a scientific error in the Bible. That Research Foundation was set up by the late Harry Rimmer, who was taken to court and tried on eight counts, and the plaintiff was thrown out by an unsaved judge eight times in a row. We know the Bible is the word of God because of what it has been, what it is, and what it shall be. Heaven shall pass away, but it will not. Thy word, O Lord, forever is settled in heaven." There is not a one of the original manuscripts still in existence. And, of course, the reason for this is very obvious. These scholars the Alexandrian cult, if they had original manuscript, they would subscribe some supernatural power to it, but they would not subscribe to some other manuscript. And then if they had it, they'd claim you have to come to them to get the truth, and if you didn't come to them, you wouldn't have the truth. And, of course, this was carried on by modern faculty members. These uh, deluded dolts are teaching people that the original manuscripts had some magical charm about them, The nothing after ever has had since, and therefore ever since then, you have to come to them or scholars to correct your King James Bible and get back to, quote, the originals. That's what's going on every Christian school in America. What these fellows call the originals are actually the Vatican manuscript in Rome, the Sinaitic in Leningrad, Russia, and the Alexandrian manuscript in London, and these three manuscripts, the Sinaitic, Alexandrian, Vatican are the three most grossly corrupt manuscripts known to lexicographers in the history of manuscript evidence. Vaticanus, Alexandrinus, and Sinaiticus contain the Apocrypha in the Old Testament and contain New Testament Apocrypha, Clement, the Epistle of Barnabas, and uh, the Shepherd of Hermes in the New Testament. These three manuscripts differ more among themselves than the entire 1600 Texas Receptus manuscripts used for your King James. And that's why when people talk about the oldest manuscripts, we simply yawn or go fishing. We accept the Bible as credible, for it was recognized authentic by the Church in the year 180 AD. It is quoted by all the Church Fathers, and even heretics and infidels have been forced to testify to its absolute credibility. Notable among these are Basilides and Celsus, and Porphyry, and many others. An examination of around 4,000 ancient manuscripts in existence confirmed its credibility. And we believe the Bible is completely reliable and are willing to stake our lives on what God said as he said it in the context in which it appears. We do not worship the Bible. We do not think the Bible is God. We can mark our Bibles. You can't mark God. We can burn our Bibles. You can't burn God. We can lose our Bibles. You can't lose God. We know perfectly well that God is not the Bible and the Bible is not God. But is the closest thing materially to the Godhead on the face of this earth. And this is why the Lord said in Psalm 138:2 that He magnified that written book above the name of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word, the written Word, is magnified above the very name of God. And that's why I believe, we believe what it is. What it is, when we say the Bible in this broadcast, you never have to guess about what Bible we're talking about. We have the Bible we're talking about on the table in front of us. We believe it's the Word of God from cover to cover, including the cover. And when we say the Holy Scripture, the infallible, inerrant, Uh, authority of God Almighty, we are referring to the authorized version, the King James 1611 Bible of the Protestant Reformation, the anti-woman, anti-agnostic, anti-atheist, anti-socialist, anti-communist, individualistic Bible of the missionary, evangelistic, and soul-winning efforts of every movement on the face of this earth. May the Lord bless you, and good day.